Can someone tell me what day today is? June 14. What day is it? June 14th, yeah. What's going on at the ledge today? Pride Day, right. It used to be called Gay Pride Day or other things. Now they just shorten it to Pride Day. And as I was thinking about this and praying about this week, I thought, hmm, what do we say about this? How do we address this? Do I put anything on the church sign? Be very careful. So, no, no, seriously, because what, what do you say that doesn't sound either like, like how do we observe Pride Day as, as a church family? Do we fly a rainbow flag? Do we put hostile notes up on our board? What, what do we do? Even the whole notion of pride, and I think we need to be careful about how we define pride, but the way God looks at pride, according to the Bible, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Right? Now, I wasn't going to put that on the church sign because I don't think our, the biblical definition of pride is necessarily what our neighbors are celebrating at the ledge and with the big parade today. Um, there, a lot of that their response is uh, coming out of how they've been treated and marginalized over the years, and they want to be proud in their identity and who, who they are. So I, I prayed carefully about how to respond and not say anything. Uh, angry and sarcastic notes, especially in church signs, just don't look at anybody. They're just foolish. That's why Jesus told his disciples, when you go out in the world, when you go out in society, I want you to be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. So even a simple thing like a church sign, what do we do with that? Um, and uh, so I thought it'd be better. I, I was just wondering, what would Jesus say if he was standing on the steps of the ledge? What would he say? What would he say to everyone gathered for Pride Day? I think, first of all, he'd say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I think that's what he would say. And then I think he'd go on to say, where do people find their identity? Where do we find our value? That's really um, at the heart, I think, of of that question. Um, The whole issue behind Pride Day is where do we find our identity? What gives us value in life? And I think Pride Day is partly is partly arisen because of people have been marginalized and devalued as human beings. And so they take pride in their identity that a lot of us would struggle with biblically. That's an issue for another time, for another sermon. It really is about pride versus self-respect. Where do we get our value in life? The psalm I want us to look at this morning Um, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be human today? Where do we get our identity, our value as people? Do we get our identity and value from the ethnic group that we're part of or the social demographic group that we're part of or the tribe, literally the tribe that we belong to? Uh, Do we get our identity uh, from being part of a group that's an acronym with about six or seven letters long? But I can't. They're always adding extra letters, so I, I don't want to leave anybody out. But 
you know what I'm saying? Where do we find our identity and our value? Being part of what the particular tribe we're part of? I think ultimately we find our value as being part of the greater human tribe. Tribalism isn't just a thing that arises in deepest, darkest Africa or in some indigenous groups. We, We are all part of tribes here in Winnipeg depending on where you live in the city and, and uh, the kind of people you hang out. It seems to start in school, and especially in middle school. And by the time you get in high school, you're pretty established in what tribe that you're part of. And it's hard to go from tribe to tribe. But this tribalism doesn't help our society. It puts us all in silos. And we're staring suspiciously at people from other tribes. And we marginalize them and out of that some groups say okay we're tired of being pushed in the corner we're going to have a day to celebrate us and then they shorten that to just pride day and how can you be against pride well god's against pride actually because the the kind of pride that says i will decide what's best for me god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble i think what our friends celebrating the parade today is it's more about self-respect. It's probably a better way of saying it. Self-respect and finding value in who you are rather than pride because pride has the connotation of no one's going to tell me what to do. I will be my own boss. Anyway, that's the introduction to this talk, but I want us to think about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to belong to the human tribe, not one of the little subsections, not one of the little tribes, uh, they call them hyphen Canadians. You know, you're this ethnic group, you're Irish Canadian or Scottish Canadian or Afro-Canadian or whatever. Let, let's leave the hyphens out. Let's t- what does it mean to be part of the human tribe? What does it mean to be human? Let's read Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth and beyond. You've set your glory in the heavens Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Let's stop there for a minute. The psalmist, the poet who came up with this beautiful piece of work, starts off saying, God, you're awesome. Has anyone here ever seen the Grand Canyon? I haven't been there. Anybody here been to the Grand Canyon? Okay kind of hard to describe in a sentence or two, right? There's some places on planet Earth you can't, words just don't describe. And when the author says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, do any images come to mind? Or is it just a verse out of the Bible? Think about the images. Use a little bit of creative, Holy Spirit creativity and think about things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Luann and I went to BC and we stopped at a place on Vancouver Island called uh, Cathedral, is it Cathedral Grove or Cathedral, Cathedral Grove? You walk in there and walk around these amazing trees. You cannot see the top. You look up and up and my neck hurt. And we walked around just a short trip, just a short walk through this beautiful forest and we stopped at the big tree. 
That's what they call it, the big tree. And it would take about uh, eight of us to, to circle around uh, our arms around this plant. You know, it's, it's hard to imagine to start it from a tiny seed because this tree is 800 years old. It was old when Columbus stumbled upon North America. It was old. 800 years old. I don't know any human beings that old. Some days you might feel like it when you get out of bed. That's just old. This tree, the big tree, is beautiful. And you look up and you cannot see the top. So when I think about God creating the, the world, the, the majesty of what he makes, it's words just can't adequately describe some of the things that God has made in creation. So that's our starting point. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's who we start with, the creator, right? You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. It's interesting that even though God has established the world, God has established the universe, there are still some beings in that universe that oppose him, want to bring down his purposes for his creation. There's always some little pests or rodents or things kind of nibbling away, kind of like termites in your house that are kind of gnawing away, trying to destroy what you're doing, right? We were in Assiniboine Park. Uh, we go there almost every day. And the prairie dogs are taking over the place. They're cute. They're such cute little rodents, right? But they're taking over the place. I don't know what they're going to do with these cute little pests, but they'll have to figure out something. But there's always opposition to, to the, the stewardship of God's universe, to God's plan. There's always something coming, coming back. Always something Someone opposing the good news about Jesus. Always something, someone wanting to tear down what the good things that God is doing. Sometimes they come in the form of organized opposition and people who are power brokers and, and set themselves up against God and make it illegal. It's illegal for some people to, to follow Jesus. Uh, in some countries in the world, people actually lose their lives for following Jesus. And these people rant and rage against the gospel and try to destroy God's work. Sometimes it's really subtle. Sometimes it's people just being what I call haters. And haters going to hate, right? They're just, they just hate the gospel. They tear it down. They attack Christians. They're even sometimes within God's family. There's people gnawing and biting on each other. But through the praise of children and infants, God has established a stronghold against his enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. God will use the praise of children to destroy any attempt to disrupt his kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said on Palm Sunday? All the kids in the crowd were yelling, Hey, Hosanna, Hosanna, God, you know, Jesus is here. This is the, the Messiah is here. This is awesome. And the, the religious people didn't like that. And they started grumbling and criticizing. And Jesus said, hey, this is in Scripture. Don't you realize that God is going to use the weak and foolish things of this world to overwhelm what looks powerful? That's part of God's plan. God sets up gospel communities like Elam Chapel 
full of weak and foolish people like all of us, all of us in need of God, and he uses the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I can see the windows, you can't. But I look at this gospel story that we talked about a few weeks ago, and I see God using the weak and foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Little babies born in barns, 12-year-old kids, astounding theological professors, some random carpenter telling people to leave their professions and follow him. And then all of a sudden, the unlikely appearance of Jesus out of the grave, confounding the, the political power structure of the day. God uses these things. So from the praise of children and infants, God uses these things, the weak and foolish things of the world, to say, I am bigger than anything that human beings can accomplish. When I consider your heavens, really glad that it's summertime, we can go outside at night and try counting stars. Anybody ever tried to do that? To get very far? They keep moving. You know, is that I lose count. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. If you want to look small, try counting the stars. I was reading an article about President Teddy Roosevelt. I, I didn't know this story, but he had a, a friend of his who was a, a, an explorer. He used to come to his summer White House, and at night, after having big discussions and doing their political things, they go out and try to count stars. And they do that for a while and contemplate how big the universe was and how small they are, and they look at each other, and Roosevelt would say to his friend, well, I guess I feel small enough now. It's time to go to bed. Just to gain some perspective on how big the universe is and how small they were. Now, this is the president of the United States, theoretically the most powerful man on earth. He's giving perspective, looking at the stars, saying, we are really small. And the psalmist says the same thing, saying, what is man? When I look at everything you've made, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I don't get it, the psalmist says. You've got all these millions and gazillions of galaxies and stars to, to think about and worry about and why do you worry about people? What's the deal? Then he goes on and this is incredible. I hope we can absorb this into our spirits this morning. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. This, friends, is where we get our value from. You notice that the psalmist did not say, well, you made them a little higher than the rest of the primates, a little higher than chimpanzees and gorillas, and ah, you got a foot up on the orangutans, you know, and Sasquatch, if he exists, you know. He, he doesn't go from the bottom up. He comes from the top down, saying, you've made him, that you've made human beings a little lower than the, than the angels and even God himself, and crowned them with glory and honor. That means human beings are incredibly valuable. Incredibly valuable. We're not just clever mammals. 
you know, that had a few more lucky genetic mutations than our cousins in the zoo. No, we're made in God's image. That means we're creative beings. Human beings are so creative. Sometimes we kind of lose that when about age six we go into school and we get lined up in rows. And I'm not trying to pick on teachers, Donna. I know you've got to do your job. And, but th- just to lose that creativity of, of young children is too bad. And we spend a lot of our life trying to reclaim that back. But we're creative beings. We're designed to make things and, and make good things. And God's given us this tremendous responsibility of ruling over the works Uh, that he's created, ruling over the planet. He says, you put everything under their feet, all fields and her, all flocks and herds, animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now think for a moment, if our neighbors at the Pride Parade were reading Psalm 8, I don't know if anybody thought of doing that today. And they might not. They've probably got better speakers than me to invite. They might not be interested in what I have to say. But think about that. If on the steps of the ledge, people were reciting together, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We have value because you've made this awesome universe and you've created us. And you've made us just a little bit lower than the angels just a little bit lower than you and given us this tremendous responsibility of stewarding and looking after this planet. How do we look at someone else who's created in the image of God? How do we look at them? How do we consider them? One of our biggest challenges in life. Coming back uh, from Vancouver in the airport, I had a little bit of an altercation with the guy behind me in the luggage security line and uh, we had kind of an exchange and he ended his part of the exchange by calling me a name that I won't repeat in church on Sunday and I walked away and I took one step back and I thought no don't be an idiot just keep walking you know because I was about to give him a piece of my mind whatever's there there's not much there I need all my mind okay I can't share any pieces with anybody right I thought, oh, don't make it worse. Don't be, don't live up to that name that he called you. Just, just walk away. And I realized afterwards, and getting rid of that sermon, I wasn't thinking of him as a special creation of God. I was thinking of him as a pain in the sense of a part of my anatomy. That's what I was thinking about this guy. And he was thinking even worse of me. So it wasn't really a positive interchange, right? I don't always get into things like this in public. I don't, honest. But it just reminded me that the way we treat other people really reflects what our theology, what we believe about God. If we believe that all human beings are created just a little lower than the angels, are incredibly valuable, we're made in the image of God, there's no place for racial prejudice, is there, in God's family, Right? There's absolutely no place to judge other people by what they wear or where they live or who they hang out with. No place that at all. 
And that means that God, God's family, is a gospel community. It's a good news community. I wish I had that quote. Do you remember that quote I mentioned last night? Last, sorry, last week. Uh, William Tyndall, the guy, one of the first translators of the, the English Bible, he said, euangelion, the Greek word for gospel, means this good news, tremendous good news that makes people laugh and merry and it makes them dance for joy. That's a gospel community. That's what we were kind of singing about this morning. God's love coming down on us and transforming us from the inside out. It's because God is so incredibly in love with his creation and especially human beings that he cares so much about them. It's easy to lose perspective of that in life. So some of the implications coming out of of Psalm 8 are really important. And if I was standing, imagining standing on the steps to the ledge this morning, what would I be saying? Every person here is created in God's image. He's got the fingerprint of God on them. And God has created in us a hunger and a heart for him and to know him, a hunger for spirituality, a hunger for spiritual reality. Everyone says, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual. It's kind of the new safe, politically correct catchword these days. Of course, that could mean anything. And of course, because we're Canadian, we have to kind of accept anything that anybody says. We can respect other people's opinions. We don't have to believe them or sign off on them and say they're necessarily good. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace and truth as well. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But he offers to transform us, to change us from the inside out. And that's the good news when we think about Pride Day. That's the good news that God has for us. He's so incredibly passionate about his creation, so incredibly passionate about people, that he wants us to live this out. He wants us to live this out and see the, look for traces of God in other people. You can see that. Look for traces of God's fingerprints on other people just the way they're made. And there's no place for judgment, no place for prejudice, no place for, you know, my tribe is better than your tribe, that kind of stuff. That's garbage. That does not belong in the church at all. Not in God's family. It just changes the way we look at people. I don't know if you realize it, but my resume is not too shabby. I have a Bachelor of Science from McMaster University, Chemistry, Even though I got it in part marks, they still gave me a degree. I have a Master of Divinity from Ontario Theological Seminary. I've got a plaque for that somewhere. I don't don't have it in the office, but it's it's there somewhere. Okay, I have the papers. I'm actually ordained as a reverend. If I want to, sometimes I put Reverend Rick Hill. It's usually, I only use that uh, if I need a trump card dealing with some government bureaucrat and trying to play all my trump, you know. So I, I know a few things, or at least I have some formal education, whether I was awake for most of it. I was, and I paid attention, and I have all these pieces of paper. But God has taught me a lot, or just as much, through Winnipeg Transit. 
It has. If you're open to things, if you're a lifelong learner, you can learn a lot about yourself, a lot about God, and a lot of, about other people by taking the bus. Several years ago, my most, one of my most profound moments on the bus, several years ago, was I used to work over at Sherbrooke and Broadway before they demolished our shabby little office, the ministry office that I worked in. And I was going home, and um, it had been kind of a lousy day, and the weather was kind of lousy. It wasn't June at all. It was just, you know, the other nine months of the year, it's cold and miserable. And I wasn't in a good mood. And uh, I was grumpy. And I got on the bus, and I actually finally found a place to sit down, which is kind of nice in rush hour. And I see this other person on the bus. And I say, person, because I wasn't sure who are you and what are you? And I was trying to put them in a tribe. You know, like, what, what are you? you? You look kind of odd. And I started, I don't know why, it was just in a bad frame of mind, I started judging that person and thinking, you probably don't have any friends. You know, or like, what, what kind of life do you have? And who are you? And it was just really, I don't know why, where all these ugly things were coming out of. It was more than just having a bad day. It was, I think, you know how sometimes when we feel insecure, we try to make other people feel small? It was just really ugly. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this in public, but this bile was coming out of me in my thoughts. And I was sitting on the bus, just looking at this person going, ah, ah. Finally, finally came time for me to get off. And I got off the bus, and I looked up in the window, and this person that I'd been judging all on the bus ride home, this person waves goodbye. We hadn't had any exchange at all or anything. This person just sort of smiles at me and waves goodbye. I was like, God hits me in the side of the head, not with a two-by-four, but with a four-by-four. It's like, Rick, you... I don't know what word he would use to describe me, but anyway, oh, Rick, why are you judging this person? This person's made in my image. And look, I've used the kindness in this person to say goodbye, you know, to bless you. Why? Who am I to judge other people by the way they look or appear? It's so foolish and ungodly and unlike Jesus. I went away really convicted after that. I thought, ah, my, my grumpy mood turned into a, a, a tone of repentance I was repenting, walking down the street all the way home, saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I judge people. This is not right. I know you don't judge me. What do we take away from Psalm 8? God values us so much. We're created in his image. We're responsible for the creation, so we've got to be good stewards of creation. But we have to be good stewards of our relationships, too. We cannot afford to judge other people. We cannot afford that because we are a gospel community. We're full of grace and truth and Jesus is helping us to live that out. If you don't believe me, look at all the pictures here before you leave. Okay? God's called us to be a gracious, grace-filled community full of his truth so that people are drawn to him and drawn into relationship. And so help me, that's what we're working for. Right, Doug? I just wanted to check with the head of the elders board. 
That's where we're going with this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, first of all, for your creation. It's stunning. It's beautiful. And it's so nice to have good weather that we can actually go outside and enjoy it without worrying for our health. Father, I pray for everyone gathered on the legislature grounds today. I pray that somehow you would reveal yourself to them and show them that you are the creator of the universe. You love them. You value them. Whatever their personal beliefs or practices are, you want them in your family. And I pray that you would reveal your grace and truth to us and your grace and truth to them as well. Help us to live out the gospel wherever we are. At work, at home, at school, whatever it takes, help us to live it out. And help us to never forget how valuable we are in your sight. In Jesus' name.